sermon is Jesus Loves Me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Does anybody ever remember that from Sunday school? Maybe I'm the only one, but, you know, I used to, I always used to get the words wrong. Um, and so, but because I didn't know, I just kind of heard it, you know. And I remember as an adult learning, oh, to him, you know, they belong. I always thought to him they were below, like they're down on earth, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him below, they are weak, but he is strong. Anyway, I'm like, oh, it's belong. We belong with him. Isn't that wonderful? And I'm sure there's different versions, and I'm not sure we're the one that you heard. But out of all of the children's songs, I always thought, at least that first part, right, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, was the most accurate and the most scriptural thing that we could teach children. Like, I just love that concept. But I think we hear it so much, we don't necessarily believe it. I think that sometimes the devil wants us to believe what they call, like, it's, it's like you get 80% truth or 85% truth and a 15% lie, and it skews the truth. Have you, ever, have you ever heard that, right? Like, you think you know something about somebody, and somebody kind of tells you a partial truth, and then you find out that that's not the case. But that partial truth totally changed your perception of what was happening. And so, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But Satan wants us to believe Jesus loves me when I'm good, for the Bible tells me so, Right? And we hear, maybe we hear a sermon that talks about the dangers of sin, which sin is dangerous, and we then interpret that to mean that God only loves me when, I'm don't, when I don't sin. And that's not the truth. That's not what God wants you to know. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. Well, but Mary, you don't know what I've done. He loves you. I don't have, she doesn't have this scripture, but I'm going to go to it first, because it's just one of my favorites, and it's in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If I can find it here. Maybe. Let's see. Here we go. It says, what shall we then say in response? Right? And you have to read the whole chapter to see kind of what he was talking to them about. But if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now, that's kind of, what is he saying? He's saying, look, this is a God who is willing to you know, send his son down in the flesh and be crucified because he loves you so much. Why do you doubt his love? Why do you doubt that he's, he's going to do anything for you or help you or, or be there for you? Why do you think like this, this thing you did over here is, gonna, is more powerful than what he said he would do? It's not, right? He says, who will bring then any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. I love that. See, I think that's what Satan wants us to believe. Jesus loves me, this I know, when I'm good, because I'm condemned if I'm bad. And God doesn't bless me when I'm bad. 
But that's not what it says. That's not what God's word says. So here in Romans, he's trying to make a case and a point to say, God wants good things for you. Who condemns you? His power is so great that he sent Jesus down on the cross to redeem you so that way you can be his child. And you are worried and thinking that you don't get any of that blessing. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ah, I just love that passage, that it's just so powerful because Satan wants to skew our perception of God's love and say that there is something that will take it away. And it's you. You, right? It's your power, your ability to not sin, your devotion to being perfect that brings blessing. It has nothing to do with God. It's all on you. That's not true, though, is it? But think about that. When we think that God won't bless us because we have done something that we know in our heart, our Holy Spirit conscious is telling us to stop, right? There's stuff that we're doing that technically is, is against Jewish law. Did you know that one of the Jewish laws says you should not wear clothing that is of two different fabrics? So if you're wearing a polyester blend right now or a cotton and synthetic blend, that you are actually sinning. But none of us get up and put our pants on and think, oh, I'm sinning, so God won't bless me today. No. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's not convicting of you of that. Why was that a law back then? Well, back then, when they would wash it, the wool would pull, right, and the cotton would be ruined, and they only had so much, they were walking through a desert for 40 years. So God, in his infinite wisdom, tells them, hey, when you make clothes, use one product or the other, that way it'll shrink together the same way. Now, we understand that it was the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. But how many laws in here do we think, oh, I did that? Because the Holy Spirit's convicting us, saying, hey, don't lie to your boss. Right? Because God knows, the Holy Spirit knows that eventually you're going to get caught and you're going to lose your job and then you're going to lose your house. And then, so he's trying to give you Holy Spirit wisdom here on what to do. But we interpret that with, I'm a dirty dog sinner because I told a lie, and now I can't ask God to bless me. But that's not the truth. The reminding you not to do that, because this particular thing is going to totally affect your life, was the blessing. And God wants to continue to bless you in other ways as well. We really see this, and I know I'm, I've, this is like my favorite passage. I don't think you guys have heard it here for a few months, maybe. So we're going to go there again. But I love this in John chapter 3. Because 
a lot of the Pharisees, a lot of times people think Pharisees just means bad guy, the way we read it in the New Testament. But a Pharisee was actually the name of people who were very religious and understood the law because not everybody could read in the time of Jesus. And so certain young men, if they had family wealth and were able to devote their life to their culture and to their religion to continue it on for the next generations, they would go at the age of 12 to the temple and they would learn underneath the older men. So then one day they'd be the older men teaching the next men, right? That was their culture's way of doing that. Is, you know, they would send young boys, maybe it's like one out of every hundred families, the young man would have a desire and he would go and he would learn that and then he would get passed down to the next generation, right? When a 12-year-old would come, they would teach him then how to read, how to read the ancient scriptures, how to um, understand all of that. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a man who has devoted his entire life since probably the age of 12 to understanding their holy scriptures was our Old Testament. So this isn't just some random person that is questioning God and he's bad because he's a Pharisee. This is a guy who truly wants to know God and truly wants to understand and truly is like now getting to the age where he's going to teach the younger ones as they're coming up. And he comes to Jesus. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. I love that because, you know, some of them didn't necessarily believe he was from God, but they knew, so they came at night so nobody would see this. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born of when they are old? Nicodemus said. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I don't know why. I just envisioned like an old man trying to crawl up between the lady's legs. I know that's gross, but I'm serious. <laughs> like whatever he says, that, I always think like that would never happen, right? Like you're literally asking them to do something impossible. I know you guys, no more respect for me, right? Seriously. But Nicodemus is asking, like, how when you're old can you go back up into your mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Oh, that's so powerful. That is so powerful. Okay, so when you're born from your mother, there is a bag of water. And when that water breaks, you pass through that water and you exit the womb and you are born of water. But he is saying, look, you live, you're born in the water, and then you have to be born in the spirit. And this is what God gives us. He gives us his spirit. And when we accept Jesus, his spirit comes in us. And just like we had been in the water and then we go through that water. It is the same thing for Christians. When you ask Jesus in your heart, you're inviting his spirit to come inside of you and to be with you. And just like when you are in your mother's womb and you're surrounded by that water, you're surrounded by his spirit. You know, a lot of times people say, well, Mary, once you're born, then you don't have water anymore. Um, did you recognize that 70% of your body is water? Let's go back to science class here. You are full of water. So 
the Holy Spirit, once it comes into you, it, it fills you up. I want to be 70% Holy Spirit, right? I don't know what the other 30% is. Maybe I should go ask for more like 99%, right? We won't talk about that 1%. But that Holy Spirit comes into us, and that is what we must have on us. And that Holy Spirit, when we call on Jesus, is what guides us. What, I, like, what did I just say about the... Um, Oh, now it's going to change everything. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> About like, oh, I told a lie, and now all of a sudden I feel bad. That's that Holy Spirit in you. We have lots of words for it. Your conscience, right? Your gut, your instinct, mother's intuition. No, friends. We live in a Christian culture, and there are so many of us that have accepted Jesus as our Savior that we have that spirit in us. We've been born of that spirit. You go into some other cultures, and they don't have that. I remember when I was a teenager visiting East Germany, which had been over the communist, you know, the Russian, and the wall had come down, and so we were able to get in there. And almost all of the young people that I talked to, none of them went to church, right, because of course communism, they don't believe in God or religion. And I remember looking through my, my cousin's photo album of this class trip they went on. And the one thing, I mean, this really hit me. I was like 13, 14 years old. I finally looked at her and I said, how come nobody's smiling? And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, you know, because there'd be pictures of like her and three lady girls standing in front of some statue or something. And, you know, her and a bunch of people standing in front of whatever. They were taking pictures of them. There was not one picture in the entire photo album where they had a smile on not, None of them. Not just like she didn't have a smile. Like nobody had a smile. And she's like, why would we smile? And I just really, like, I remember just thinking about that and praying about that and, like, even as an adult sometimes that keeping me awake at night and understanding how privileged we are to literally live in a country where God's Holy Spirit has been, you know, even just sprinkled on the babies and dedicated when they were infants or... In the Sunday schools and the VBSs, I mean, I grew up in a day and age where every single church on the corner had all of the neighbor kids at every single VBS, and we all had to raise our hand at least once to be born again and to have the Holy Spirit in us. And we have all been raised in this culture where the majority of Americans have had an opportunity to accept Christ and have that Holy Spirit in us, and the fruits of the Spirit are joy and love and peace. Now, we don't walk in it 100% every single day, but you know what? If I took all of you on a vacation and we were standing in front of somewhere and I said, smile, I have guaranteed that you would all smile. Nobody would think to say, why would we smile? Right? Because when that Holy Spirit, when you have that, that Holy Spirit come over you and in you when you accept Christ, that fruit even though you don't feel it right away. You, some, I've had people ask Jesus in their heart, and they don't feel any different. And they, they don't feel like anything in their life has changed. But that Holy Spirit is there. And he begins to do a work on the inside. Some of us need a little bit of healing, right, before we can take, take on the pressure or feel something different. But it's there. It's kind of like when you buy a fixer-upper. Has anybody ever bought a fixer-upper? My first house was a fixer-upper. And... Uh, Guess what? The day I moved in, it didn't look any different than the day before, only it looked worse because there was a lot of boxes, right? 
The next week, the boxes were all put away and the furniture was set out, but it still didn't look any better, right? The floor wasn't fixed yet. The window was still at a crack. But because I lived in that house, all of a sudden I painted this room. And all of a sudden we ripped out the flooring in this room. And then all of a sudden this got fixed and this got fixed. See, when you ask the Holy Spirit to live in you, not, sometimes, you know, there's miraculous power and something will break off of you. But most of the time, it's that little bit, right? That little bit, that Holy Spirit nagging on you, right? Maybe what you need to do is to forgive somebody, right? Maybe there's somebody in your life that's just, it's just tormenting you and you can't stop thinking about this issue you're having. And that Holy Spirit's now in you and all of a sudden you walk by them and they're like, hey, why don't you get them a candy bar? You know they love Snickers. I don't want to give them anything and blah, blah, blah. Right? Why don't you get them a Snickers bar? Next time you go to the grocery store, why don't you? Whatever. Whatever that little nudge might be. And all of a sudden, one day you grab it. And all of a sudden, the relationship begins to heal. And all of a sudden, something in your heart begins to get better, right? We all have different things. And the Holy Spirit nudges us in different ways. But I love this. So he's talking to Nicodemus, and he says, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. What is he saying? He said, you can't see it. You can't see the wind. You can't see God's Holy Spirit. But you can feel the wind. You can hear the wind. You can feel the effects of the wind. And God's Spirit, when it's in you, you can feel the effects of it, just like you can feel the effects of evil spirits. You can't tell me that you've never watched a movie that's creeped you out really bad. You can't tell me that you've never walked down a dark alley in a place where you're not familiar and didn't feel, ugh, right? There's, you can feel good spirits, and you can feel the bad spirits. How can this be, Nicodemus said, or asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How, then, will you believe if I speak of earth, heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So when he went up on that cross, he did that so everyone who is believing in him will have eternal life, right? Because we were then forgiven of our sins. And then it's the classic John 3.16. For God so loved... I love that. He did it because he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Remember that passage in Romans where he was saying, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ? Well, I do bad things. Who can condemn you? Who will condemn you? The only one who has that judgment to condemn you, right, is God. And here it is in John 3, 17, saying, God did not send Jesus to condemn you. God sent Jesus to save you. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
Do you notice how it doesn't say whoever is perfect is not condemned? It doesn't say that. It says whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they sinned. No, that's not what it says. It says because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. I thought that was so cool that Jeff, you know, I didn't know what songs he had. And th- that last song is about the name of Jesus. I'm like, yes! You have to believe in the name of God's Son. You have to believe in the name of Jesus. And if you don't, then you stand condemned. Why do some people not believe? Why? That's, that's, it says right here. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but the people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. See, when you believe in Jesus and that Holy Spirit comes in you, that Holy Spirit will begin to convict you. And some people are just like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Maybe sometimes they have this perception that if they don't, if they're not perfect, that they can't do anything with God. But that's not actually what it says. It says that everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. I love that. Guess what? My sins are exposed to God. He can see plainly everything that I've ever done. And I don't stand condemned. I am not condemned because I believe in Jesus. And it is his power on the cross that saves me despite what I have done. He still loves me despite any mistakes I've ever made. I love that. Now, his love while I'm here on earth does not change our earthly laws, does it? One law is gravity. What goes up must come down. doesn't matter how much God loves me. If I throw a ball up, he's going to let it fall down. God doesn't break his earthly laws. And if I lie, cheat, murder, do whatever, and I end up in jail, I'm going to have the earthly consequence of those actions. He doesn't condemn me, and he loves me, and I'm still saved, but I still suffer, right, the earthly law consequence of those actions. So it's amazing when you look back through the laws that the Jewish people were given, and you can say, why did he tell them not to wear clothing made of cotton and wool? Well, it's all raw product, and it would stretch, and it would rip, and their clothing would be ruined. He loves us, and so all of these laws have natural consequences, and we understand that. Well, why does he care why, if I sleep around? Well, there's emotional relationship issues that are then going to happen. Well, why does he care you know, if, if I don't serve him alone and serve other gods? Well, then your heart is going to be pulled astray, and you're going to end up in a, in a world of hurt. So we see the natural consequences of sin, and we understand that those natural consequences are still here while we're here on earth. But we are not condemned because we have not achieved perfection yet. Because I promise you, you never will. Whatever you think you've mastered, well, when I was younger, Mary, I used to do this, this, this. I don't do that anymore. That's awesome. But I bet your spouse would uh, admit that you're not 100% perfect, even though you've matured and mastered those things. We all have things that we struggle with. 
Why? Because Satan lives on the earth with us, and he is tempting us. Think about that. One of our daily prayers, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I love how that he ends with that. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Why would that be part of a daily prayer? Because every day, he's trying to lead you into temptation. Every day, you need to be delivered from his hand because he wants to make your life miserable. We're told, pray for heaven on earth, right? May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what God wants you to pray for, ask for, and he wants you to receive. But Satan's standing over here and saying, "Uh uh-uh, I want you to have hell on earth. And when he convinces us that you can't ask for a blessing because you weren't perfect last night, then he's got you into a belief cycle and you will never, ever ask God for anything because you will never, ever be perfect. And that, my friends, is a trap. The Bible tells us about how Satan tries to ensnare us. And a lot of times we think of the big things. Well, he's trying to ensnare us into this big thing, right? Oh, having an affair, this or that. You know, if he can ensnare you in the little things, if he can trip you up so that every single day you walk around convinced that you're condemned, God doesn't want to bless you, you're not worthy, I'm not going to take time to pray to him, then he's got gotcha. you. You're going to live a miserable life every single day. And what I want you to fully understand is that John 10, 10 is real. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. This is Jesus talking. He says, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Satan wants you to have a destroyed life. But Jesus says, I have come, not only that you have life, right, that eternal life that we know we're going to heaven when we die, but to have a full life while you're here on earth. Why would he do that, Mary? Because he loves you. Are you sure he loves me? Because I've done this, this, and this. I'm sure. I am positive. Why? Because God is not a liar. God does not go against his word. God doesn't look down and say, I like Pastor Mary more than you because she, whatever. He doesn't, he's not like that. We have favoritism, right? If somebody at work always brings us, you know, that Snickers bar, like I said, we might, you know, give them a little nicer Christmas present this year. But God's not like that. God's like, what do you want for Christmas this year? A pony, here's your pony. What do you want for Christmas this year? A pony, here's a pony. Like, he doesn't care, right? He wants to equally love on us all. But we are convinced that I shouldn't ask because I'm not worthy of that. I love this, this spirit that it talks about in this word. So Jesus is talking to them about the spirit, right? You must be born of the spirit. And when you believe in the name of God's one and only son, you then are born with God's spirit. And God's spirit is in you. In Galatians, we see this as well. And again, this is a verse she's not going to have, but I just I couldn't all weekend after I sent her the verses keep, keep going at God's word and just saying, what do you want to share with us? It's in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. He's, he's getting after these uh, people in Galatia that uh, he, he had come through 
Holy Spirit fell on them. They had miracles, they had healings, they all believed in Jesus. And then some Jewish missionaries who were Christian had stopped by to visit. And they, of course, were like, why are you living this way? You're sinning. And they were like, what are you talking about? What is sin? Well, here, let us give you our 333 Jewish laws. This is how you need to be. So the Jewish Christians wanted the Gentile Christians to be basically Jews first and then accept the Christianity that they had received. And so they were very confused, and so they started trying to follow all these laws. And so they wrote a letter to Paul, who was the original guy that came there, and said, why don't you tell us about these laws? We didn't know that we've been sinning. And so Paul writes the letter of Galatians to the Galatia church to say, that is not how you receive your salvation. So chapter 3, verse 1 says, you foolish Galatians. He doesn't mince words, does he? He's like, hello. Who has bewitched you? That's crazy that he uses that word bewitch because witchcraft is all about control. So these Jewish guys, even though they love Jesus, they are so convinced that the law has to be added in, that they're trying to control the actions of these people. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified, meaning I came and I preached the message of Jesus and I told you of his crucifixion. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now remember, the Holy Spirit already fell on them. It had nothing to do with them obeying laws. It had everything to do with them hearing the gospel and believing in Jesus. Do you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? That's so powerful, that statement right there. He's saying, you received salvation because of belief in Jesus alone. You had no idea what the law was. But now you want to live the rest of your life as Christians based on your actions, whether or not you can follow all of the law. Hmm, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask you, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, for us, we're like, well, why is he talking about Abraham? Well, for all of you that don't know, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. You're all looking at me like I'm crazy. So that was one of those other children's songs that we weren't learned when we were little, and it, it, you'd go... And let's just praise the Lord, right arm, Father Abraham, and then, he's, and then you keep going, right left arm, and then you go, and then right foot, and then you'd be going like this, singing this song, and then, you know, you'd be marching anyway. So, Father Abraham was the first person to have this covenant with God, and through his descendants, we have the Jewish culture. But Abraham did not have the law. 
the law did not come into existence until after the children of Egypt left Egypt and Moses then, who was their leader, went up into the mountains and came back down with the Ten Commandments. And then as they were now creating this new culture after they had experienced all this weird stuff in Egypt, he wrote out another 300-some laws for them to follow and how to have their culture be different than what they had seen in Egypt. So his point is, Abraham, who 100-some years before, well, and then another 400 years, probably let's say almost 1,000 years before, had righteousness on him. But it wasn't because he followed the Ten Commandments. He didn't have the Ten Commandments. So why was Abraham considered righteous and had this covenant? Because he believed in God. And he served God. And he loved God. And God offered him a covenant and blessings. So Paul is bringing that up to them. Because he's saying, look, I came, I told you about Jesus, I told you how he was crucified, I told you that if you believe in him, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and miracles and God's power will be with you and your people. And all of the people said, we want that, we believe that God loves us so much that he would come down and create a way for us to be blessed. And these people began to pray to God in the name of Jesus, and they had miracles happening in their midst, and they had blessings happen. And then all of a sudden, somebody came in there and tried to control them and bewitched them. And now all of a sudden, they want to live by the law. And his point to them is, Abraham was righteous, and he didn't have the law. God sends his love and his law down to bless you. He wants you to be blessed. And we are constantly trying to figure out if we deserve the blessings. And I'm going to tell you right now so you can stop wondering. You don't. You don't. I don't. I don't deserve God's blessings. But I receive them. Well, Mary, why do you receive them if you don't deserve them? Because I ask. I ask a lot. God, please take care of this. God, please help me with this. But, and, and I ask, and I truly believe it's going to happen. I'm just going to tell you this real quick. Oh, I still got four minutes. Yay. So this is the most recent one. Many of you have heard a lot of my stories, right? And I tell you this so you will go home and ask. I don't tell you this so you think, well, Mary gets everything she asks for, and I don't get anything I ask for. Stop believing that way. That is why you don't receive it, because you believe I deserve it and you don't. No, you deserve it. Now, how God answers that is totally different. The way I'm about to tell you, I wished he would have given me the lotto ticket, right? And I, or an inheritance of a million dollars and I could have taken care of it. But he didn't. Sometimes he doesn't give it to us the way we want, right? But he takes care of things. So, you know, looking at our budget and looking at our resources and, and I was like going into June and I'm like, oh, this was our budget. And, and even though I was on the roof and that kind of gave us the cushion for the year, I didn't like the numbers I was seeing and I really wanted to have some more resources by the end of June. Like that was just in my head, I just had it in my head that I needed to hit at 50% of our budget by the end of June. And I remember going and talking to this one person about grants and resources and I said, isn't there anything out there for a nonprofit where you get money and you can use it just on operating expenses? And this lady who's like this grant guru was like, no, that doesn't exist. 
And I'm like, Lord, that should exist. Like, that's what we need. We just need to be able to operate. And we need, and I remember I told Marlene, I said, we need $25,000. I need $25,000 by the end of June. Now, that's a lot of money for us. Our budget is not huge. I do not take a paycheck. I'm here and I do my, the work and I try to put everything back into what we're doing. But in my heart, I just asked God, we need $25,000 to help with our operating expenses. And I would just feel so much better, Lord. Like, do not let me stress over this. I kid you not, the next week, I get notified that the city of Bay City was announcing a grant for $25,000. And the only people that could get it was nonprofits inside the city limits and you could only spend the money on operation expenses. That is how good our God is. Isn't that amazing? That is how good our God is. So now I need you all praying and believing with me. Like, I had raised an extra 50000 to have that cushion for the year, and so I'd like to go into next year knowing we had a $50,000 cushion. I just got notified that there's going to be another grant in the area, and if we can qualify and get it, it's $50,000, and it's only for nonprofits, and it's only for operating expenses. Now, here God is creating something. This is unheard of. That's never been done. The, the grant guru says, this just doesn't exist, Mary, and it, and it just happens to be announced the week later. That is how good our God is. And to top it all off, it was announced at a meeting that I was invited to go to that I didn't want to go to. It was down at City Hall. It was really long. It was really boring. I hope nobody from City Hall is listening. I'm so sorry. But that was my date night, and I wanted to go out to dinner with Todd, and I told him, no, i got to go to City Hall. So any meeting compared to date night is going to be boring, not trying to offend anybody. And I kept, throughout the night, kept thinking, oh, I'm going to sneak out early, like, you know, because I'm on this this council meeting for the South End, and this council guy had already seen me. I thought, oh, he's already seen me. He knew I made my effort. If I leave right now, maybe I can go meet up with Todd for dinner, right? And that Holy Spirit in us was like, you need to stay. You need to stay. And this is where, this is one of my prayers. Holy Spirit, Jesus, God, Father, let me hear your voice and obey it. A lot of us hear the voice of God. We just don't obey it. So I pray and ask him, help me to obey it. So for whatever reason, I kept sitting there, even though inside of me I wanted to leave. Why? Why? Because God was making me obey it. At the end of the meeting is when they announced that grant. And you only had, like, two weeks to apply. In the next two weeks, I never saw anything about that grant. If I hadn't have gone to that meeting and stayed all the way through to the end, I might not have ever even applied because I wouldn't have even heard about it. Now, what is my point? He loves you. The Bible tells you he loves you. And the Bible tells you because he loves you, you are not condemned, and you can ask him for blessings. He wants you to ask for blessings. Matthew 7, 7 is just one of my favorite verses. It says, ask and, you will be give, or ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened 
but you'll never experience the fullness that Jesus came to give you if you don't ask. So, with a minute over, everyone, I'm going to do the old, old school, close your eyes, fold your hands. Father God, I just I stand here before all these people. I'm just really trying to put this in their hearts deep, that you love them so very much. Sometimes we can be told somebody loves us, and it doesn't mean we feel it. It doesn't mean we believe it. It doesn't mean that we receive that. And sometimes Satan has just done a really good job, whether it's through a traumatic past or just lies in our head or, you know, physical sickness in our body. And we just don't, we don't feel it, man. We don't, we don't feel good. We don't think there's a good God. If God was so good, why did he let this happen? And, and we just struggle. So tonight I'm asking you just to let your Holy Spirit presence and spirit fall upon these people. May they feel your presence in their lives. There might be things they don't understand, but they can just know it's you. And I am asking on their behalf for just intercession of your love in their lives. I know that every single person here has some sort of desire and wish and, and grant. And I, and I know that my desire to take care of all the finances for the Dream Center for the next, you know, hundred years is just to have a couple million dollars fall in my lap and you didn't give me a couple million dollars but you did send us a grant of 25,000. So Father God some of the desires people have here might be the millions and and maybe you won't do that but what do they truly need this week? Can you give them that Father God? May they feel your presence in their lives. May they see the blessings and the favor fall upon them. And Father God, may they be reminded every single day to ask, to trust in, in you. We have not because we ask not. And Father God, it's, start, it's time for us to start having. So we're asking you right now to intercede in their lives. We're asking you for healing. We're asking you for that miraculous power, not because we follow the law, but because we believe. We receive your love. We receive your healing. We receive your blessings because we believe and we ask you for them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to just leave you with this. Has anyone ever seen my daughter, Claudia? You might have seen her when she was here. She's 12 years old. She's less than 100 pounds. And she cannot lift 100 pounds. Right? She can't. She physically can maybe lift 20 pounds. But now Jeff, who was here doing worship, I bet if I had a 100-pound sack of flour sitting there and I needed him to deadlift it up, how many of you believe that Jeff could lift 100 pounds? Right? You believe that Jeff could lift 100 pounds and Claudia could not. So if you were standing in the lobby and you had a 100-pound TV there and Claudia was standing there and Jeff was standing there, who would you ask to help you move the TV? Jeff. Why would you ask Jeff to move the TV and not Claudia? Because he can, because he has the ability, and because you believe he can, right? Why does God want us to ask him? Because we're showing that we believe he can. So many people say, Mary, if it's, he's God and he knows it needs to be done, he'll just do it. No. He says you must ask because he's only going to let his power go out for those who believe.
believe that he can actually do it. And you only ask the person that you believe has the power to do it. You would never ask Claudia to lift a 100-pound TV because there's nothing in your mind, your heart, your spirit that believes she could do it. And if Jeff was standing there, you know that he has the ability to do it. That's why you ask. This week, I want you to ask because you believe that God not only has the ability to do it, but that he wants to do it for you because he loves you. All right? You guys have a wonderful week. Hope you have uh, a chance to go down to the blessing shop if you need to go down to the blessing shop. And the kids are in the basement. And I will see you next week for Baptism Sunday. So make sure and sign up if you are interested. Thank you.